We laugh. We cry. We learn. But really, what doesn't kill you makes you better at managing clients and everyone. I'm Morgan Friedman, and this is Client Horror Stories. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the latest episode of Client Horror Stories. Excited to have here Andrew Comendo. We were chatting the other day. He has a great story, and I want to know how it ends. Let's jump right in. Andrew? Hey, Morgan. Good to see you again. Same here. Awesome. Well, if you want, I can just launch right into it and kind of go through. My favorite podcasts are the ones that skip all the BS and go right to the interesting, juicy bits. So, yeah, let's just jump into it. Uh, So it's 2021, so about five, yeah, about almost five and a half, almost six years ago now. uh, I was running, I was CEO and founder of a company called Pair. And what we did was um, we had a suite of tools for computer vision that other people could use to build augmented reality experiences. And augmented reality, if you're not familiar, it's where you're able to view objects like they're real uh, in real life Mm -hmm. using a phone. Sometimes you use a headset like the Microsoft HoloLens or some of the other ones that have come out. Um, But at the end of the day, you're trying to create experiences for people to see virtual things like they're real and interact with them. And the primary application that we built was uh, for home furnishings. So back in 2014, 15, there weren't a lot of people or there weren't a lot of apps out there at least uh, that had really high quality ability to try furniture, for example, in your home or a chair or you know, lamp or something like that. And so as part of our you know, business goals, Not only did we want to sell, we really wanted to sell our tools, but we had to have a hero story. We had to kind of have a hero application that allowed people to see what it's all about, as well as use if you're not interested in necessarily building it. If you're just a consumer and you want to use augmented reality, we had the best experience for AR and home furnishings. Uh, And so as part of that, obviously, back in 2015, 16, there's a lot of flurry of activity around this, this space, around the augmented reality in the home space. We were approached at the end of 2015 from a top 30 retail company. So Fortune 30, uh, absolutely massive company. Uh, and they said, hey, look, we want to do something with augmented reality. We'd love to get a proposal from you to say, how would we build an, an augmented reality app for us and um, you know, do a dem- not just a demonstration, but kind of like a beta test and roll it out. And, and I, I, I want to chime in there that knowing only this, like already a yellow flag goes off in my mind because when there's a negotiation and the power level is oh. so disproportionate, like it, it, it's hard to it's hard to to come out on top. 100%. And you know that's something that people should take away. And if you're you know if you're new to the startup game or if you're just starting your company or even if you're a couple of years into your company, something that people may not realize is that it's really easy for giant companies or government even to completely dominate your, all of your time as a small company uh, and take 100% of your bandwidth on just them 
or just one project. And so that's something to watch out for. It's often really hard to say no to a big companies that wants to do something because of all this exposure that you get and everything else that would come with it. Maybe it's an acquisition possibly, right? Who knows, right? And so there's just a lot of really tempting reasons to do that, uh, but it's something you really have to evaluate whether or not it's the direction your company needs to go. Um, totally. It, it, it may be, and it still might not work out. Uh, so, <laughs> so that's a good point. Exactly. Uh, so anyway, so we were approached by them. Uh, what they were asking for, we said, well, you know, we've actually gone slightly different direction. And the reason we didn't suggest building a new app is because so many people already have apps. They don't want to download a new app. We'd actually see better uptake if we did a web-based, you know, had a web-based capability uh, as opposed to making people build a new app or I'm sorry, uh, download a new app. And so that's what we proposed back to them. We said, here, we'll, we'll make you a web-based experience. It's not going to be augmented reality perfectly on your phone. Like you'd be able to walk around it, but it would be something similar in the sense of you could take a picture of your living room or your kitchen or whatever. And we would reconstruct on our back end, like mm -hmm. a kind of a 3D mesh of the space based on one image, which was a huge breakthrough at the time. In fact, still it's kind of, it's pretty hard to do. Uh, but what that would allow you to do is you take that picture and then on your phone, you can choose the objects that you want to see in the space without having to walk around it. You could be sitting down, which we found amazing. People didn't want to stand up and walk around. That was a big thing that we found. Um, they want to sit and do something. And so we were offering an experience that was web-based. They didn't have to download anything. They could stay sitting. Uh, you know, they could play with it a lot longer than like a more fully featured application. Right. And they loved that. And they said, this is great. We want to do it. Right. So we beat out everybody else, which at the time, what we heard was there was about 20 other companies they approached. Um, these are all the bigger biggest players that we were competing with. And so we were excited. So we won that. Um, it wasn't a very big deal in terms of money. Uh, it was less, it was, you know, six figures, but you know, in the single six figures. And, and so we said, great, awesome. Let's get started. Now, important to understand also, we didn't actually have a production level version of this uh, ready yet. Like it was, this was a proposal in which case we knew kind of how we would build it, but we hadn't built one yet to know whether it was going to work or not. And so it's still kind of experimental, which is already, so now you're compounding, right? You're compounding complexity. Big company with small company, unproven technology. And by the way, this is something that we told them. It wasn't like one of these, oh yeah, we've got it perfect. The use works all the time. Here's all these examples. In fact, what we said was, this is pretty experimental, which is why we didn't charge a ton of money for it, right? Because we wanted to, to see if it would actually work. So they agreed to that. Um, myself and my team flew out. I, to I just I just want to mention another yellow flag. When you share something experimental with anyone, client or not, even with the warnings, it's experimental, my break. When it breaks, they're still disappointed and frustrated. Absolutely. Like, subconsciously, you have production level expectations, no matter how big the warning signs are. Absolutely. Yeah, that is a great point because especially with very large non-technical groups that are that are involved they don't necessarily understand the concept of iteration and they don't necessarily understand exactly. how things can progress um and so they're so exactly to your point they're expecting works perfectly immediately right all this kind of magic bullet stuff and so luckily uh, the people that we were working with let's say half of them understood that the other half kind of 
they were just not technical. And so it just didn't even come up. So fast forward, you know, two months after we won the deal, myself and my whole team, we flew out to meet uh, at their corporate headquarters, big giant to do. Uh, it was, you know, great. They hosted us. We had a really great meeting, you know, set of meetings, talked with all the stakeholders, their VPs and SVPs, and everybody was very excited. So we kicked it off. Everything was going great. As part of the contract, the first deliverable was basically six months from that time. And it was going to be basically a demonstration to show that we had were on track and doing what we were supposed to be doing. Um, and integrated with the whole corporate, their, their corporate team and their corporate IT yes. and all that kind of stuff, right? And so all that had to happen, you know, in those yeah. kind of six months. About, let's call it four months in, I get a call from one of the VPs who's kind of looking at the project. And we had had fairly regular conversations at this point every other week, um, regular updates, things like that. So I get this call and says, hey, I just heard from my bosses, who knows if that's true, but they heard it from their bosses. Yeah. Well, we really want to see a demo before we uh, go any further. Um, and it was kind of out of the blue. We had been having good conversations, but it just seemed like it was kind of an odd thing. And it also wasn't in the contract. And so I said, okay, let me take a look at what we've got so far. And let me look at the contract and see what that is. And then I'll get back to you. About, I think a day, day and a half later, I got back and I said, Look, we're not quite we're not quite ready to show you what we've got, and the deliverable date for the demo was like two months away. So you know we're quite a bit away from what you would expect. And they and basically the response was, you know, expletive filled, and we will cancel this contract and we'll put you out of business if you don't give us this demo that was not in the contract um, two two months ahead of time. Oh, okay, okay, right. Nuclear bomb. Let's from start from from like zero from like. Hey, so, thanks, but maybe can we just do the contract? And it's like, no, we'll blow it up. Wow. So, question. Yeah. Usually, nuclear bombs don't happen out of the blue. Sometimes, but often right. they're like they're cracks you see beforehand. Uh -huh. Were there any cracks or clues you saw before no. this happened? That was what was so odd about it to me, at least, because I'm pretty, I mean, I'm consistently looking for those cracks, right? Just to make sure that we're not missing something, that our communication is good, that we have, you know, we're on timelines and that we're doing everything we need to do. And so I think what it came down to in that case was this is somebody who doesn't hear no often. Um, they also don't get a lot of pushback often, and they're fairly high up in one of the largest corporations on the planet. And so they just assume that I work for them, as opposed to I'm doing a contract for them, and there's contractual, you know, uh, arrangements to it. And I, I assume, and I didn't, you know, obviously we did, I didn't retro this with the individual, but yeah. uh, and actually you know jumping way ahead he loved us at the end of the day but you know so i just, i think it's a, it was a personality thing and maybe he didn't see it as so nuclear because they deal with this all the time for me this is an existential thing he saw it as just day in the life right and that's another big point here for people who are small companies working with giant companies they'll run over you like it's another day and not even think twice about it so, so my 
final comment build, building on that is, is there's a type of person who's just gets angry as a method to, to yeah. get people to do things. And it actually doesn't mean he's angry. Said differently, successful bureaucrats in big companies are often good actors. And mm-hmm. like you need to call, you need to act angry. So you think you can get this, you act angry. So him yeah. being expletive filled like that didn't necessarily mean he was just that angry. Maybe, maybe he thought, okay, th- this guy's really nice. And this is what I need to do to, to get Andrew and team pair moving fast. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, effectively, it, it's function, it functionally works. And it works. Because <laughs> <laughs> at, the, at the end of the day, you know, like I said, you're in a position as a startup founder, especially if you're not like at a crazy growth rate or your revenue rate is such that you can tell everybody no, unless, you know, basically you tell everybody no and it won't make any difference. Unless you're at that position, you kind of have to deal with some of this stuff to some degree. So, so anyway, so after that conversation, I went back to the team. I said, look, guys, um, we're basically being crunched right now by our client and we need to figure something out. We need to figure out how to, you know, show what we're on track with because, you know, I can give them all the engineering documents. I can show them everything that we've been doing, our Jira and our Trello boards and everything else like that. And it wouldn't make a difference because they can't interpret it, right? They don't necessarily right, right. know what they're looking at. But I said, so let's brainstorm real fast. How are we going to do this? And, you know, my chief scientist at the time said, well, we, we just can't. It's just, not, it's just not possible, right? It's just impossible to do something. And we said, okay, well, I understand it's not possible to show the final thing, but is there a way we can give an example of the experience that they will have? Because I think that's really all they're looking for. They don't care that our particular two, three servers, the first one which processes the image for depth, the second one processes it for plane detection, the third one actually puts everything together with a sensor fusion. They don't care about that. Like they don't care that that stuff works. They just assume that it's going to work. They care that there's a seamless experience integrated with their user experience and user interface and all that stuff. So I said, how do we? How do we give them that experience while we're still in the build phase? Actually, I just I just want to do a parenthetical to emphasize that, which is I'd make the broader version of that as a really useful lesson for the younger versions of ourselves, which is unfortunately far too many people, even in high stakes professional contexts, judge the book by the cover. And by that, I mean, they'll care about like, how it looks, a smooth, seamless uh, experience, not actually the thousand times harder tech that right. underlies. No, and in fact, that's, I mean, I think that's the big conflict often, right, between often senior yeah. people who are less technical and very technical people who are to say, here's all that goes into it. And they say, well, I don't care what goes into it. I just want it to work or something like that, right? Totally, and, totally. And, and in many cases, that creates really bad expectations, right? In other words, maybe somebody senior has read a bunch of wired articles or they're reading popular science and they just read some kind of, there was some demonstration somewhere that cost half a billion dollars and it, you know, had some proof of concept. And then they say, Oh, that's possible. Now let's go to this company over here. We'll pay them $10,000 for the same thing. It's like, well, 
what what you missed was the you know half a million dollars <laughs> investment on that. <laughs> exactly. That. Years of so, research. Yeah. Yeah. Years of research. Exactly. Lots of IP protection. All this kind of stuff, right? Which just doesn't go in our head. So, um, so we we were brainstorming how do we get this done, and what we came up with was okay. All of the user interface work, all of the web hooks, all of the APIs and gateways and all that kind of stuff was already solved. So we knew how to take an image from uh, the, the customer server and we knew how to process or we knew how we were going to process it. It was just the processing wasn't completely built. Basically, our neural networks were not fully trained yet in order to be ready to do it. But we could run, we could run the image through the pipeline easily, it just wouldn't give us great results at that point, right? It would be, it was just, it took time to train. Yes. And we weren't there yet. So, so we said, okay, why don't we just take that processing chunk out? We're going to continue to work on that. And what we're going to do is we're going to have a manual processing step where every time an image comes in, we'll just replicate the depth and plane map uh, for that manually. And then they'll be able to have the experience and once we finish it, we'll just replace our automated system with the manual the, system. And the, we have to come up with original, like, the original mechanical Turk solution. Exactly. It's total, it was totally a mechanical Turk type solution. Um, and it was basically, we set up a time with them <clears throat> that we were going to say, okay, on this date, at this time, from this time to this time, you could try it, right? Uh, and that would allow us to set up our terminals and workstations yeah. such that uh, we, we, my co-founder actually had to build a new piece of software that handled those requests, displayed them, allowed for us to do annotations, where it's not really annotations, but allowed us to do the plane detection, some of this other stuff, um, and then hit enter, and it would send back all of the sensor fusion back in the right package, such that they'd be able to have the experiment experience, and we could do it all within about two seconds. So it was really fast. It was like extremely fast. So we did it. So we set up the demo. We did the demo. They were thrilled with it. Uh, we saw there was about a half a dozen different like executives trying it out and all that kind of stuff. And so the next day we heard back, like, good to go, continue working, happy with everything. We love you guys. Everything's beautiful, flowers, all this kind of stuff, right? No more threats, none of this kind of mess. And so, so that was the, like, that was the big major hurdle. And when we did it, it was, it, it oddly gave a bit of confidence to the team in the sense of there was user engagement that said we were on the right track, even if the technical pieces they didn't care about, that we knew that our experimental approach was what exactly they wanted, even though they didn't ask for it. We told them, here's an experimental approach. They said, great, let's try it. It actually ended up being the kind of experience they wanted. So fast forward another, oh, actually something I forgot to mention was during the first meeting that when we flew out, uh, the mm -hmm. person who had been helping us the most and just like kind of shepherding us through their corporate process was an awesome woman. I love her. I won't say her name on here, but um, she was fantastic. She ended up leaving the company shortly after our project. Um, and I'll, t I'll talk a little bit about why. But um, when I sat with her, I said, you know, or we were sitting talking about this. I'm like, you know, we're breaking even on this project, like at best in terms of dollar figure. And she says, well, why didn't you just ask for way more? And it's one of those things that you, it's a hard lesson to learn as an early founder, but you have to act, you have to ask for more than you think that you can get uh, and then negotiate from there. And that was the, 
you know, that that was one of the ones that really branded into my brain that, especially when dealing with large corporate organizations, they have more money than they give, than they uh, let on they do. Oh, and right. that it, it costs you nothing and you really aren't risking anything to ask for more, especially if you're already part of the conversation. It's one thing if you come in with a bid and you've never talked to anybody and you don't know, you know, there's nothing, they don't know you from the next person uh, to bid way high because they just won't, they'll just write you off. But if you're already in a relationship with them, then you can actually say, well, look, you know, this is really how much it's, it's going to take uh, and then go from there. But it was just an interesting thing in the sense of they're going to lowball whoever it is. It could be, you know, just pick pick your biggest company on the planet, Apple, right? They're going to lowball you no matter what, even if they have a trillion dollars in the planet, because uh, oh. that's what that's what they're supposed to do. Um, so anyway, that was a that was interesting. Okay, so fast forward, we do the demo, goes well, we're back on track, and we I won't talk through all the other problems uh, that were all internal because it was really just about clients at this point. Um, but we had, but we were able to get it all together. We shipped it. Um, right. we sent it back, sent it off to them. They were hosting it and they were running it after we sent, sent them, um, our software. It went live. I don't, re- I don't recall the actual date, but it was like the summer of 2017, something like that. It was just before a big holiday. In fact, they were using a, a big holiday to push it, to see what the, like up, what the lift metrics would be. So it was A-B tested, our version versus the standard vanilla version, A-B tested. Um, and it ran for, I want to say a month and a half, something like that. So consistently, after that month and a half, we all flew back out. And the numbers that we saw from the corporation were, and remember, we're talking about a massive multi-billion dollar, you know, top 30 giant corporation who, if you see a lift of, you know, a quarter of a percent or, you know, some it's tiny number, dollars. it's millions of dollars. Right? Yeah. Um, and they showed us their numbers, not our numbers, because we didn't have, here's the other thing, we had no access to know how it's right. doing, because it's not on our infrastructure, it's not using any of our metric systems, any of that. So we were completely reliant on them and trusting that they would tell us the truth about whether it was good or not. So, so when we flew out, they said, A-B tested, they saw 1% lift in overall conversion rate from basically from cart to sale uh, for our technology versus not, basically nothing. Totally. And, and, and there was no other, there was no drop off of users. So in other words, you could have a 1% lift for some cohort but you lose a ton of other people who just don't even want to do the process, right? And that's not a good outcome. But in our case, we did not see a drop off of people who were entering the system and then abandoning it. It was people who were completely completely finishing the work through uh, and then actually purchasing. So wow, this is amazing. It was yeah for us. We're like this is the, this is perfect. This is better than we ever thought it would be. It worked out great. You know the technology worked. It didn't even work. It wasn't even. Or on our servers that it worked, it worked on this, like that kind of stuff. So it was like slam dunks all, all along. So everybody's happy with that. And then it was just, and then we heard like basically nothing from them. And I was confused and I said, okay. For how long? This was probably a, a, a full month, maybe a month and a half, because at this point they were our biggest client. 
Um, we'd spent so much time with them. We had other clients. We were doing, you know, work and we were continuing to get people using our software uh, as tools, but they were still the biggest. And we were like, you know, okay, are they quiet because now they're putting together acquisition details? Are they quiet because they want to take it and run with it with a bigger deal? Are they stealing it? And now they're going to ignore us and go do it on their own? Like, we don't know. And so I, I sent a note to one of the SVPs there who I had built a relationship with. I said, hey, can we get together uh, and see what the deal is? And so we got on the phone call and he said, oh yeah, no, I'm glad you reached out. What we decided was, despite all of the great numbers and everything, it would break our entire, like the way that we build our web application, how our backend, like, how we manage 3D content, because that's a big piece of it too, is like there's just a ton of 3D content that we had to help them fix. And it's just, there's, there's a lot of complexity to it. And so what it boiled down to was the lift wasn't big enough and cheap enough from an overall organizational perspective that they, that they would be able to invest in it because it would take more than 1% of a change in their organization to fully realize the value of its scale. Um, and I think that's another really important point here is, is really focusing on not just the outcome of the project, right? But the outcome more broadly, uh, when you're thinking about like, are you aligned with the organization that you're, you're working with or the client that you're working with? Because you could have a successful point, you know, project, oh, right. like we've talked about, right. you have a very successful point project. But if that project does not fit into the larger corporate narrative or government narrative or whoever your client is, then it's going to die on the vine because there's not enough people internally advocating for it to you know, to make a big change or the corporation or, or organization is going a completely different direction. And the group that you're working with is kind of over here in the lab. Or As I've seen this time and time again. Go ahead. By the way, I, I think that's a great point. The, in economics, this is called transaction costs. And mm -hmm. classically, people tend to not think about the external transaction costs when really small transaction costs can uh, can down the whole ship absolutely and and the thing is as a founder you have no idea what this right you're especially absolutely. again if you're dealing with a giant corporation that's global you have no idea what their internal structure is like who you're working with so you kind of just have to get lucky in some senses that you're you're working with a client a, a customer inside that organization that's already on a growth path because you could be working with a a customer within that organization that's, you know, nobody cares about or they're not really well-funded or people think about, oh, those guys and gals are over there, you know, and or they're in decline and they're really doing like a last-ditch effort to save themselves. There's so many of these corporate politics, government, organizational politics, things that go on that you as the, um, as the providers, the service providers just have no clue about, which... Sure. It should inform your calculation to an extent in the sense of if you put all your eggs in that person in that basket for this large organization, that's a really high risk, right? Because it could go really, and, and I say high risk because I want people, I want people to think about risk versus benefit, right? Or you know, risk and reward, right? So in those cases, it may be high risk, but that means that it could have huge reward. Whereas if you say, well, it's high risk, I don't see the reward potential, 
obviously that's an easy calculation, but you, you're going to have to take risk somewhere. You just need to identify where that is, where right. that risk is and, and whether you're bundling all your risks or not. Right. And so when totally. it comes to picking your clients, and I think that's another key point is you should not, obviously this depends on like where you are as a business, but yeah. in the, in the best case, when you're thinking through a client that you're working with, you need to be thinking about you hiring them as a client, not them hiring you, them hiring you. Again, hard to do if you're still trying to get traction, if you're trying to all that, but it's still really important because even if you're in that transactional, even if you're in that phase where you're trying to figure it out, it could be detrimental to you to cut a deal with Amazon or whoever. I'm not, by the way, Amazon's not the company. But but I'm just using that as a big example. Yeah. So, you know, cutting a big deal with, again, Tesla or whatever, right, or Apple, even though it might seem like that's the best choice, it could still, you could say, you know, by doing this deal with that giant corporation, it's going to slow us down. So we're going to say no to a million dollars because it would deviate us from the past. And this is... It's hard to say no because it's hard for people, for humans to say to, no to that million dollar offer with Absolutely. the thing behind it. On the other hand, it's so common where your strategy is to focus on this, but they actually really want something completely different, totally. vaguely related, but it will pull the company in a, in a very different direction. So it's it requires a lot of uh, thick skin. Well, so the and, good thing in our case was, and that's you're 100% true or you're 100% correct in the sense of that happens all the time. We're going this direction, big company comes, says, hey, go that direction. And then, you know, you do that thinking it's going to be temporary and now you're on that path and you've totally lost your way. Um, what I would say though, is that in our case, with this specific deal, we wanted to shift away from the app, you know, uh, we want to shift to the web application model. Uh, which now obviously works, right? But you know, you wanted we wanted early to shift to that web application, like um, user browser-based experience over more and more mobile applications. And this was the this was the first great chance for us to get paid to to do it, right? And so in that sense, we were able to continue the work we were doing even yes. after this. So in other words. It, it was, we were able to then resell and continue work in that direction. And that worked out great. In fact, it was, it was basically perfect because we, not to go into too much detail here, but we wanted to separate the, everything on the client model, um, kind of think about like a monolithic application where it's a web, it's a, uh, sorry, it's a native mobile application for iOS or Android. And that's all you need. You could do it offline whatever, right? But it's all on your phone or your device. That's the way the kind of world was. We wanted to split that to, actually, we're gonna, we want all of our processing to be online in our, you know, on our server side. And you just have a fairly lightweight front end on your mobile device or just a browser. Why, why do we care about that? Well, number one, or the primary one is, it makes a much smaller footprint on your device. So it's easier for you to say, okay, I'm, I'm okay downloading a 20 megabyte app. That's the first thing. The second thing is we get a lot better metrics. We get a lot better ability to count what people are doing and what, you know, right. how interactions are happening by having a server client relationship like that. 
It also allows us to scale way broader because we can scale just the back end without having to scale any front end, which means anybody in the world could build a front end and use our services. And it doesn't cost us anything more. It's just a software as a service, annual recurring revenue type of subscription based on APIs. So we early, we very early said, okay, the, the business model that we need to be in is one where we're serving capabilities, not building new applications, right? And so all of that fit perfectly in with the proposal we did for this organization. So in the end, it was fine. It was good because we were on that track already we were moving that track, but it did slow us down a little bit because we had to spend so much time working with this client. It took all of our time. And so it was eight months or so that we were not out building smaller relationships, which may have, totally. may have uh, you know, lasted long. May, may, makes sense. And it's a good learning. So the client dropped this bomb. Glad you reached out. It's over. Then what happened? So the funny, so about a year later. Um, well, we just actually hope just yeah. before we year in the future, like they, they paid up and did nicely. Like, okay. Actually, okay. And actually they invited the whole team back out again. And we had kind of like a, it wasn't a dinner, but it was a, it was a presentation meeting for, you know, a handful of senior VPs in the organization to talk about like future directions. So we say, okay, <clears throat> we're probably not going to do anything with this right now, but we do want to keep you engaged as a company so that we can continue moving in this direction. Like where could we go with all of this? Let's say, you know, six months, a year, two years from now, if we wanted to start something back up. And so I came and I presented our long-term vision and kind of where we were going with it, how it fit in with theirs, how it fit in with their engineering team. So I did a lot of research and talked to their teams a lot to understand where their direction was going to see if it actually did merge. And in fact, it kind of did. And what we're seeing now is that they're doing today in 2021, really even in 2019, 2018, or 2020, they're doing a lot of the stuff that we talked about uh, doing with them already. So, you know, at least that made sense. And, and so how much of that I gave them versus they did on their own, who knows? But um, it doesn't matter. At the end of the day, they, they were happy with us. The guy who called and yelled at me, wanted to be my best friend. You know, I mean, it's like all that kind of stuff. They were very positive. We have good relationships, um, all that. And that kind of was it. And, it, you know, or at least I thought that that was it for, for us. And we moved on. And, and that was that was the end of the business relationship. Before you get to the addendum of what happens in a year, I want to add the observation. I'm going to make the assumption that for them to end early, it was them breaking the contract. And, and if that assumption is true, I, it's a good example of how con the power of contracts is because it forces clarity. Because when you have a trillion dollar corporation, especially, it's like, like they can do what they want. doesn't matter what the word on the paper says. No, in fact, you know, big companies will say explicitly that. And I, that's kind of how I felt that they talked to me about it, which is, Oh yeah, we'll break the contract. What are you going to do about it? You don't have any money. You're not going to sue. Even if you did sue us, you're going to go out of business before we would even 
get out of litigation. So, and it, we it's, wouldn't even think about it, right? It wouldn't even cost actually, us anything. <laughs> it's funny that the, that, 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 that the big companies actually say that directly because everyone knows that, of course, they have a trillion dollars, whatever, however much, however rich you are, you don't have a trillion dollars. So, but it's funny that they're like so direct about it. Well, funny is one word for it. Uh, another way you could put it is it's super anti-competitive. Um, <laughs> like, immoral and unethical and all that other kind of stuff. Um, but it's so pervasive. I cannot disagree. I, cannot disagree. Yeah, of course, yeah. I mean, it's pervasive and frankly, it, because that, I mean, that wasn't obviously our only interaction yeah, with of course, someone of course. like this. Um, and so we had so many of those. Uh, it really did make me a little bit more cynical about, you know, what's a playing, what's a, what's a level playing field, right? What is, competing on technology? What is being a, a, a leader in, in kind of future tech? What is like, what is, what is all that? Um, and I'm not sure, I, I haven't fully worked through that myself. Um, part of why it, I'm not in startup. It, it, it actually, it actually gets to deeper issues. Like what is the law? Well, like, it's, well, I mean, yeah, there's that for sure. But <laughs> it, it's, it's not just what is the law. It's like, what are markets for? What are startups for? Like, you know, I didn't join. It's, it's, this will sound cliche or whatever, but I didn't start my company with the intention of just making a bunch of money. I started my company because I had a scratch that I had to, or I had an itch that I had to scratch for myself. And I wanted to, to see how many other people had that same itch and if I could solve it for them and do it in a creative way and, and build a kind of build a uh, movement, right? And help make augmented reality real and help, you know, make computer vision real as a real thing that you can do really interesting things with, right? And if that's not really the case anymore as a small company that you can go into a market with a game-changing idea or a great team or any of that and really make make a big impact on it. I mean, that's that's a really hard thing to live with if you're a creative founder type. You know, if you're if you're a creative person, you want if you see, hey, this industry over here or this way of doing business or whatever it is, I think I can go and impact that. And then as you start impacting it, big players come in and they just, you know, step on you or they just take your stuff and they run with it themselves or any number of things. Uh, it's a little demoralizing. Um, and like what I was about to say is part of why I'm not in startups right now is because it's very hard for me to see ideas that don't only have acquisitions as their exits, right? Um, obviously, it's not 100% true. But the rate at which you as a founder are incentivized to sell to a big company because they're going to try to crush you or try to acquire you is higher than I think it's ever been. In fact, I was having a conversation with a bunch of my um, VCs and PE friends, and they're like, yeah, I mean, right now the market, for the foreseeable future, the chances of starting a company in 2020 or 2021 and IPOing are multiples smaller than it was if you started it in 2008 or two or 2000 or 1995 or anything. Just because the dominance of these global players just doesn't allow you to do. 
yeah, I, I agree with that. Aging is something else. And I and in these like 20 years I've I've been in the industry, there's been a palpable change from like 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 20 years ago, I believed a lot of people are like, oh, I want to change the world with, with it. You felt it now uh, in the in the air. Now everyone just has a social mobile app game with coins, da, 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 and it's like everyone sees through, no matter how much of you say, no, this this really just helping us some sort of way, everyone sees through it. Yeah, unfortunately, yeah. Um, there's still good folks out there, but it's just harder for them to, you know, get all the way to the finish line, I think. And that's so that I mean the whole experience, not just with this one client, but you know, with the whole ecosystem all informs that. Uh, the good thing about the, what I'm talking about is that's not going to deter anybody who's dead set on doing something. So, and I think that's great. Like if somebody had told me this when I was starting my company, I'd be like, that's for somebody else. Right. Uh, you know what I mean? And so that's, you still have to have it. So, um, so let me just jump forward. Later. Yeah. So about a year later, I'm in Colorado. Uh, I think it was Halloween. Uh, we, um, Myself and my family had gone to some kind of thing, and I get in back in the car and I look in my look on my phone and I get in, I got a alert or somebody sent it to me and said corporation that we worked with is debuting a new augmented reality in the browser feature. Ooh. Uh, and and it was but it was a big public thing. Oh, the other thing I forgot to mention was when I asked early on, hey, can we get publicity for this? Can we do a public, you know, can we do a press release, say what we're doing, all this? Because that would help me, you know, that would help immensely. They said, oh, sure, if you pay us $300,000. Instead of, yeah, that, that's good co-marketing. Like, we like to support small companies, leading edge stuff. No, they were just like, no, I mean, you can pay us because that's how much it costs for us to do co so anyway, so fast forward a year and they, you know, very publicly put it out and they're, they're showing off. And so I try it out and it was the exact experience that we built minus wow. all of the backend processing, like computer vision work that we had actually done on the technical side. And the reason is because they did not have access to that and they did not have IP for it. So they couldn't, they knew that if they tried to just use it, it just wouldn't work because they still had to use our API keys and stuff like that. Right, right, right. Um, but it did. It didn't do all that. And it and within a week, I think they they pulled that entire thing because it didn't work because they were missing lack. They were lacking that critical piece. Uh, and there were a couple of articles that came out panning it, saying this doesn't work. This is trash. Like everybody, they're all moving backwards. All this kind of stuff. And so, you know, mixed feelings there. Right. One is what the hell, you know, why couldn't, you know, we had a functional thing that actually worked and why couldn't we just go with it? Somebody in the corporation was like, hey, that was great. Let's try to do it, but without those guys. And then it didn't, it just didn't, it fell on its face. So I feel, so, you feel a little good that it fell on its face because it didn't use you. But at the well, same time, it's like, what the hell? We could have done so much sooner. Wait, you feel a little good. The Schadenfreude should be huge here. Yeah. You should feel great. Like that only billion lasts dollar for a second. Company, yeah. Billion dollar company that broke the contract and screwed us tried to take our stuff and do it on their own and they fell flat on their face publicly. Like 
that that should like increase your own perceived value in your head at least by some, by some real amount. Only for a couple seconds, and then you realize <laughs> that's still the power power dynamic still exists, unfortunately. So, so uh, that's so that, it. I mean, that, that's it. There's my client horror story from uh, computer vision, augmented reality, startup land, <laughs> 2016. I I like this story, especially this uh, this addendum. At uh, at the end, where they uh, they fall flat on their face. Question: Other than the lessons that we discussed in this last almost hour, forty five minutes, are there any any other um, any other less obvious or different learnings or ways in which uh, you change as a person or change or processes you changed um, coming out of this that you want to share? You know, I think the biggest one is. Try not to be in a position such that you have to, such that you feel like you have to say yes to organizations with such a big power dynamic uh, difference, right? Big difference in power differential. If you look at any of the largest startups that went to IPO or whatever, they were not, it's the rare one, very, very, very rare one where a large corporate deal that was kind of secret and experimental, or not even just experimental, but just a, a large corporate deal was the thing that took them to, you know, where they needed to be. It was a series of a bunch of small deals or a bunch of smaller, more manageable ones that actually got them to, to the flywheel that they needed to get. And so for current founders, future founders, don't do your best to not be in a position that somebody can bring you a bag of money and it influences how you think. That's the biggest problem. And that, that goes for whether it's corporate or if it's venture fund. I mean, my favorite, my favorite, favorite VC funding story is Sequoia. I think it's Sequoia, I want to say, um, and, uh, and the WhatsApp team. So WhatsApp had this team of like five people or something, some ungodly small number. And they had an office in, I want to say Mountain View or Palo Alto or something like that, right? Um, and they had been crushing it with, with growth, like in South America and I think Asia. And like, it was just off the charts. And nobody knew where these guys were, who they were, anything. And all the venture funds were trying to find these people, everything. And they were just off the radar because they were just printing money. Anybody who downloaded it, it cost them a dollar. They're printing money. They had five people working for them. No worries. The these VCs literally got on foot and walked around, knocking on doors, opening you know buildings to try to find them in order to pitch them. Right. That's the position you want to be in. You want to be in the position to say no to a hundred million dollar investment because you don't need it. Right. That's my favorite founder story is like, and by the way, once they found it, once Sequoia, I think it was, found them and pitched them, their CEO was like, nope. And so they had to keep coming back uh, until the number made sense or whatever. And so that's the, the biggest takeaway for me is I don't want to be in a position. You shouldn't be in a position ideally to have to respond to the big bag of money. Right. And that means your idea has to be on point. Your execution has to be on point. Right. Your team has to be on point from day zero. Right. And that's really hard to do. I think it's great advice. I want to add in one lesson that we hinted at uh, about a half hour ago, but is 
I think is so important is worth fleshing out in our, in our final four minutes, which is talking about the power dynamics difference. There's a subtle nuance there of where you threat saying, hey, like for them, it's just like pennies and they, and they don't care. But for you, it's like the existential, it's existence of your company. I want to like, add the slight nuance there that for the individuals that work in the big company, they don't give a shit. It's a nine to five job for which they're for which they're paid a salary, while you and your team, it's to use your word, it's existential. Right. Everything depends on it. And not just money, but like this big project, this mission, this right. like, like your, 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 your obsession, while they're literally 501 PM, like right. like I'm I'm going home and dealing with any big company, it's dealing with literally every single person there from the top to the bottom. It's just a job, nothing more. Well, for for you guys, it's existential, and that is one of the underlying sources of of, of, of all these problems. Because from their eyes, everything it's just a job and nothing more than that. Well, so they- it's worse. It's actually worse than that because you could have people on in that corporate team that you're working with who are like, I saw, I I'm sorry, I feel for you. There's nothing I can do about. It. Like they may even know about it, and they may even care, and they may even care about your plight. But getting legal involved is five rungs above them and two organizations over. So even if they did care, there's nothing they can do about it. So for the ones who do care, they're stunted. For the ones who don't care, it's another day in the life. And so, you know, you just have to take care of yourself. Absolutely. Yeah. And um, it's and I think for people of the personality where when they they only do things that they care about. And at least for me, I only do things I care about. And yeah, I yeah, absolutely. My whole life is starting to get along. And it's been difficult for me to deal, to like, to internalize the lesson that oh. it's just a nine to five job. They like, like, they don't care. Because that's, because this has helped me understand so many of like the crazier, stupid decisions of bureaucrats make. Because yeah. if it's just a nine to five job, you're going to come to very different conclusions than when it's existential. And I'm on the other side of it now. Right. Um, so I'm a director at a very large public company or a large public company. I, we see acquisition deals all the time. There's companies who want us to do a deal. And I, I just don't think about it the same way as if it was my company. And, and it's just part of it's just the reality of it. I as much as I try to empathize and everything, even for me, who's been through it, it's just one. It's just one in another list, laundry list of things to do during the day. Um, so that's why you there's so much out here on this we could talk on this forever totally this has been fascinating and the hour is uh, is 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 about to explode this has been great thank you for your time wonderful story great getting to know you and everyone who has been watching it thank you for making to the end I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did thanks Morgan talk to you soon bye bye (laughs) 